0: Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. What happens when we die? We've all thought about it. Most of us have experienced the loss of a loved one or a friend at some point in our lives. Death remains the, the last legitimate mystery that we face. We sense inside that there has to be something more. And I'm reminded of that every time I look in a mirror. Because who I am on the inside does not reflect what I see looking back at me in the mirror. Because the spirit doesn't age. God has placed eternity within our hearts. The resurrection answered two very important questions for us. That there is something beyond the grave. Jesus came back. But the resurrection also validates that he is who he claims to be. And that gives us hope. And though we grieve, and though we wonder, and sometimes maybe we're even afraid, we're never without hope. We're never without hope. One of the people that I've read a lot of and who I admire uh, tremendously is a man named Dallas Willard. And when when Dallas uh, passed away, Uh, This article was uh, written by John Ortberg in uh, Christianity Today. Uh, By the way, there's a stack of them here. If you'd like to pick one up after after the service, you can. But I I just, I love the way he starts it. He said, when Dallas was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in late summer 2012, he said, I think that when I die, it might be some time before I know it. You have heard me say so many times that death is not a destination, that it is a doorway. There is a transition that occurs. And the reality is, as far as I can tell, that death really is only a problem for those of us who are still alive. Because there's something now missing from our lives. And death touches us in a way that few other things ever do. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to the 11th chapter of John. The 11th chapter of John is really a, a pivotal chapter in this gospel. From this point on, Jesus knows that he has a target on his back, so do his disciples. If you'll remember, as we finished out the 10th chapter, that they were looking to stone Jesus in Jerusalem. And so he, he left Jerusalem. He went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. That's a, a distance of probably 20 some odd miles from Jerusalem. Just keep that in the back of your mind. It's a staging ground. Jesus knows that his days are numbered. And he's trying to prepare his disciples for that. And death rears its ugly face. 11th chapter now a man named lazarus was sick he was from bethany a village the village of mary and her sister martha this mary whose brother lazarus now lay sick was the same one who poured perfume on the lord and wiped his feet with her hair so the sisters mary and martha sent word to jesus Lord, the one you love is sick. And when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard That Lazarus was sick he stayed where he was for two more days and then he said to his disciples let us go back to Judea but rabbi they said a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you and yet you're gonna go back there Jesus answered are there not 12 hours of daylight One who walks by day will not stumble for they see by this world's light. It is when one walks by night that one stumbles for there is no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death But his disciples thought he meant a natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Such a peculiar series of events. For Lazarus to be sick, for the sisters to send word, traveling 20 miles back in the day would have taken you six, seven hours. They knew that Jesus had gone beyond the Jordan to the place where where John was uh, baptizing, but they didn't know exactly where he is. So a guy is dispatched with a message that the one you love is sick. And there's some implications there. And there's some expectations there because this was a family that, that Jesus loved. It was pointed out to me the other day uh, that it's kind of an odd family for uh, uh, two sisters and a brother to live together. And so we start speculating about why, why that is. The, 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 the women were, were, were married early on and they went uh, uh, to live uh, with, their, with their husbands and his family. And, uh, and the husband would have, the brother when he got married would have brought his bride in. So we, we, we really don't know a lot about this family except that Jesus loved them and their house was, was kind of a staging ground. When he was in Jerusalem, he probably stayed at their house. And they knew that Jesus loved them. And so when Lazarus is sick, they send, uh, they send somebody to find Jesus, to tell Jesus that their brother is sick. What's the expectation? The expectation is that Jesus is going to get that news. He's going to turn right around. He's going to hightail it back to Bethany so that he can heal Lazarus. But does he need to be physically present in order to heal someone? He doesn't. The man in authority uh, asked Jesus to heal his servant. Jesus says, all right, lead on. And the guy goes, no, no, no. You I get it. I am a man uh, under authority and a man of authority, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and that one to do this, and they do it. And I recognize your authority. All you have to do is say the word, and I know that my servant will be healed. (laughs) And Jesus shakes his head and says, well done. Your, Your servant is healed. And he goes back, and somebody meets him and says, he's better. What time? Same time that Jesus said that the guy was healed. So, what's going on here? Jesus stays for another two days and then he decides to go back. So, one day to dispatch the guy, he doesn't know it, but before he arrives, Lazarus has already died. And then he arrives and and tells Jesus, Hey, the one that you love is sick, expecting that Jesus is going to say, Lead on, but he doesn't. He stays there for two more days and then. He says, okay, let's go. And and the disciples, they're they're a little apoplectic at that moment. It's like, we were just there and they were were gonna stone you. And you wanna go back? I have a certain number of days and I've gotta work while I have those days. Are you coming or not? And I love Thomas. Thomas, I think, gets a bad rap because when we think of Thomas, we think what? That's right, he's the doubter. You're doubting today? Thomas, our substitute pianist today, thank you for being with us. You're not a doubter? Sometimes, yeah, sometimes. So so Thomas gets penned as being the doubter all the time. And you know what? I thank God for Thomas and his doubting because he was there because we couldn't be there. Did you ever think about that? That at least one of the disciples said, you know what? I'm not buying it until I can actually see the man. and Put my fingers in the holes in his hands and his side. I always wondered if he actually did that when Jesus showed up. Probably not. But here's Thomas saying to the rest of the disciples, you know, let's go. So we can die with him. We're ready. If that's what it takes, we're with you, Jesus. We're not going to let you down. So why does Jesus wait four days before heading back? Or three days. So there's four days. There was a, it was a superstition that you weren't really dead until after the third day. And even the leadership, even the Pharisees believed this. They they believed that the soul kind of hovered around the body looking for an opportunity to to come back in. They believed at that time that during that three day period that the deceased was only mostly dead. (laughs) Yeah, which means He's slightly alive. He's there. Yeah. So when they're completely dead, all you can do is go through their pockets and look for loose change. I do not think you know what that word means. <laughs> Inconceivable. Uh, the point is that Jesus, he waits because he doesn't want anybody to say, "Oh, this would have happened whether or not you were here." No, he waits so that when he goes back, 4 days have passed, so that when they see what Jesus is going to do that they believe that he is who he claims to be. Lazarus is dead. On his arrival, he finds that he's been in the tomb for four days. Bethany, two-mile journey from Jerusalem. Word has already gotten out that Lazarus is dead. Do you think that the leaders of the day didn't know that Jesus had a close relationship with this family. Now we're only two block, two miles away. So they're on guard because they don't know what's gonna happen. When Martha hears that Jesus is coming, she goes out to meet him. Mary stays at home. And Martha says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would, have, would not have died. But I know that even now, whatever you God will give you whatever you ask for. Do you you hear a mild rebuke in there? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And yet. I know even now that God will give you whatever you ask how many times have we found ourselves in the position of Martha? How many times have we prayed a prayer, hoping, begging, pleading for God to answer it, maybe to heal someone, to change a circumstance, or to give us some clear guidance? And God has not met our expectation. Yeah. Well, that was a waste of time. Maybe there's no one home. Maybe God doesn't really listen. Maybe we don't have the kind of relationship that we thought we had with God. Well, if we think the relationship that we have with God is that He is there at our beck and call, then you're right. We do not have that kind of relationship with God. Because there is a plan, and we're not it. We're a part of that plan. God is at work. And I love that passage in Romans where, where, where Paul writes to the Romans that God, God causes all things to work together for good to those that love him and are called together according to his purposes. What that doesn't tell us is that everything is going to be good. But you know what? It's when we struggle, when we wrestle, when we have our doubts, But at the end of the day, say, Lord, I still believe. I may not understand, but I still believe. I don't know about you, but I have found personally that those are the times when I have grown the most. When everything is going on, you know, just fine and dandy and and, in life is peaches and cream, I I start to take things for granted. And, and, and some have said that that's part of the problem with our nation today that we have we have had so much success that we become like spoiled children. It's become too easy and we've lost that sense of gratitude and it's been exchanged for a sense of Expectation. Dare I say it? Entitlement. I deserve better than this. Do we really? When you look at the world and you look at history, we represent such a small slice of that history and, and a very unique slice at that oh my goodness, that humanity could come to the place where they thought we can self-govern. Well, how long do you think it'll last? (laughs) Yeah, without God. How long do we think it will last? As as we watch things shifting under our feet, uh, uh, under our feet almost daily, and we cry out, we say, God, where are you? I'm afraid God's gonna come back and say, I've, I've never left, where have you been? It's been a little too comfortable, it's been a little too cozy and then, you know, a, a curveball comes your way and now it's all, oh no, Lord help me, woe is me. Mary, Martha doesn't do that. She makes a statement and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I do think that there, there's, some, there's some grief. There's some grief there because her brother is dead. And when we lose someone close to us, we do grieve. How could we not? You have to have a heart of stone not to grieve when someone close to you dies. I think that the statement that she makes is a matter of fact. You know, had you been here, I don't think my brother would have died. And even now, even though you did not meet my expectations, and I'm sure that somebody has gotten into her ear and say, well, we found him a couple of days ago, but he, he really wouldn't have mattered because he was already dead. If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. But even now, I believe that God will do for you whatever you ask. Your brother will rise again. I know, I know that he'll rise again in the end times. Clearly, the difference between the two major theological factions of the day centered around whether or not there would be a resurrection. And she believed that there would be a resurrection in the the last days. And that's when Jesus utters the sixth I am statement in the book of John. I am the resurrection and the life. Just think about that for a minute. I am the resurrection and the life. He doesn't say, I can resurrect people. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he goes on to say this, whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. Think about that. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do I believe this? It's a mystery. How can I stand here and tell you that if you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that you will never die? You will never die. I know people who have had faith that puts my faith to shame, who have shuffled off this mortal coil. And we want to believe, but the question still hangs in the back of our minds, what happens when we die? And that's where I come back to where I started at the beginning, that death is only problematic for those of us who are still alive that there's a transition that happens when we pass through that doorway, and I don't know what else to call it but a doorway, that death has lost its sting. Not for those of us who live in the already, but not yet. Jesus has secured our victory, but we still live in a broken world, and we long for the return of Christ. I was, I was convicted by... Uh, our missionary in the Middle East, who said selfishly, I don't want Christ to return right now. He says, I know people who spent their entire lives ministering in the Middle East and never saw one convert. And now we are seeing converts left and right. People are coming to Jesus. There are multiple a uh, 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 Bible-believing underground churches in Mecca. Did I tell you about the Iranian that I met at Costco a couple of weeks ago? He was wearing a T-shirt that said, "Ask me about Jesus." How could I not? <laughs> and, he, and he and he says to me, "I'm, I, I'm, I'm Iranian. I'm a former Muslim." But I've met Jesus. He came to me. And, and Jesus appearing to people in dreams and visions in the Middle East is so common that that has become a, a, a conversation starter. Have you had the dream or the vision yet? You can tell by their reaction whether they have. Relax, you're, you're not the only one. And lives are being transformed and they're in this this conundrum because in that part of the world, you know, here, you want to change your faith. (sighs) Go for it. You know, we'll miss you. Think you're crazy for wanting to change your faith. But, you know, people do. Uh, You you can go off. Nobody's going to track you down. Your family's still going to accept you. You're not going to lose your job. That's not the way it is in the Middle East. Everything is intertwined. Your family, your work, your faith. Your social life, it's it's all intertwined. You just can't separate it out. So if you become a follower of Jesus, you, you, you are cut out of all of that. Cut out. And those that try to stay in, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, there's a, this whole insider movement that, that really has split the missionary community, whether or not a, a person can remain within that culture, uh, and, and, and still go through all of the rituals and pray five times a day, but pray to Jesus. That only works for a little while. You know why? And I think this is so cool. It only works for a little while because once you believe in Jesus and you let the Holy Spirit into your life, you're going to be transformed. And that is the follow-up question that is happening in the Middle East. You're different. You've changed. Have you become a believer in Jesus? That's the first place they go. So God is at work in ways that some of us will never fully comprehend this side of eternity. Jesus says it right here. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And listen to this and listen very, very carefully. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. What does it mean to you to live and believe in Jesus? You know, there's some people will try to tell you that there are conflicting theologies in the Bible, that that there is a Christology, and there is a Pauline theology because Paul uses language that the disciples do not use. And one of, the, one of the prepositional phrases that Paul uses over and over again is in Christ. And what does it mean to be in Christ? And so, well, that's not found in the New Testament. Jesus says it right here. Whoever believes, whoever lives and believes in me To live in Jesus, to believe in Jesus will never die. Oh, you'll transition and there'll be some tears, hopefully shed by the people that you leave behind. (laughs) But once you make that transition, if you're given the opportunity to go back, it's like, what, are you crazy? I mean, I love those people. Yeah, but are you kidding me? (laughs) I was thinking, I was talking uh, about John Davis. Some of you remember John Davis? Yeah, I was talking uh, yesterday about John Davis, uh, just a just sweetheart of a guy. And uh, 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 he, right before he passed away, he, he looked at me. He, says, he said, Pastor, um, I'm really not afraid of dying. I just don't want to leave all this. And, and I get it. Because some, when, when life works and, and we live in a beautiful part of the world, it's like, yeah, who would want to leave this? And it's it's like the the, the caterpillar getting ready to go into the cocoon and sees a butterfly and says, what it must be like to fly. I doubt that I'll ever know. But then there's a transformation that occurs. And do you ever think that a butterfly says, man, do I miss those days when I was a caterpillar? (laughs) I don't think so. You see, death really is only a problem for those of us who are still here because those who have gone on are going, I'm glad that's over. I'm glad that's over. And to be be out of the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. And and I get it. There's There's more questions that that raises up, but again, that's a sermon for another day. Yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, who has come into the world to show us how to live within a precept of ethics that is punctuated with grace, that we might show others that there is a reason to hope, Because Jesus is the best explanation for why things are the way they are. And what my Iranian friend in Costco said to me is that Jesus is the answer to every problem the world faces today. And I mean every problem. And I said, amen, brother. Let me pray for you. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. What I want you to go on away today with is a question, what does it look like for me to live and believe in Jesus? What do I do differently now that I'm a follower of Christ? When was the last time that Jesus disappointed me when He didn't meet my expectation? And I stood firm and said, even now, I believe in who you are and what you are doing in this world. Thank you. To live and believe in Christ Jesus is what disciples do. And we do it together. We do it as a community. And that, my friends, is kingdom living at its best. Amen? Amen.